Good morning. How are we doing? I don't have such great legs. Uh, as you can see, I have longs on, so jeans. I see that short sort of vibe here. Uh, I even see Rigby came to church in shorts. Riggs, what's going on? Hey, it's all good? All right, Sue, just uh, up the game there, hey, with your husband. All right. Anyway, we're from Johannesburg and uh, at a church called New Covenant Church, Branson. We serve on the eldership team there, my wife and I. And uh, our kids is Joel and Ben sitting in the third row. And our little Ruthie is out of kids. And really, it's a privilege to be here. We hear, have heard so much about what God is doing here. And it really is a privilege to end off the James series. 22 weeks that you guys have journeyed. And I get to end off while the sound guys are getting the sound right. I'll just keep talking. There is a bird flying around. And if this is your first time here, this is not the Spirit of God. It is just uh, a bird that is flying around. Has it gone? Because... Lord, we pray, oh my word, visiting preacher, bird flying around, distractions galore, but anyway, 22 weeks of James, and I do want to encourage us, just uh, if you haven't watched last week's sermon, Don did an outstanding job of the power of prayer and the need for prayer. Uh, I think as born again believers of Jesus, sometimes we can think that we can do it in our own strength. But ultimately, God is empowering us through His Word, but ultimately our dependence on Him in our everyday life, in our everyday life. I've titled this morning's message to end off uh, this incredible book of James series called Restoring Community. Restoring Community. How many of us enjoy watching home renovation shows? I see a lot of ladies putting up their hands. And I see the men pretty much sliding in their chairs because the DIY list is incredibly long and nothing has been done in 2022. But December is coming. <laughs> December is coming. I'm seeing you guys out there. Exactly. But we watched hours, maybe months, maybe even years of renovation shows. Uh, my wife loves them and she always says, love, wouldn't it be wonderful if we, we... If we could do this to our house, and I sit there and I go, just say that again, because I know what will happen. It's not really a we, it's maybe a you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could do this to the house? But it's wonderful because we love seeing old, broken down, messed up buildings in a community restored to its former glory, something of the beauty of what it's meant to look like. I even love those shows where they go into neglected neighborhoods and they start to renovate homes. And as they start with the one, it's like the whole community comes and rises up and there's an expectation to say, actually, something is happening in our community. And house after house, they start to renovate and they start to improve the surroundings. I believe there's something that God has sparked in our hearts because ultimately throughout Scripture we see God on this rest, restorative journey of taking that which was broken by sin and restoring back to life. Sin is terrible. It is. Sin destroys marriages. Sin destroys teenagers. It destroys people. It destroys relationships. But yet we serve a God who desires His people to respond adequately in faith to see that which was broken restored back to life. That which was destroyed back to wholeness. 
not in our own strength, not in our own ability, but in the empowerment of the presence of God over our lives. So what does a restorative church or community look like? When looking at the book of Acts, we see something of the start of the church. And if we want to reference what is the expression of church that we desire to emulate, that which we desire to mirror, we have to go back and say, God, what did you do in the early church? Well, the Spirit of God was poured out. There was powerful demonstrations, signs and wonders. Many were saved. Thousands upon thousands of people came, not because there was a billboard or because there was a TV show or You know, God TV was marketing some event. No, there was something of a sound that resonated in the community. No one could put their finger on it, but yet it was attractive, and people wanted to get there. We see that thousands were added, and communities were transformed and changed. Why? Because people put their wholehearted trust in an extraordinary God. Bill Hubbles has this short little quote that I'd love to put up on the screen, and it really is just a wonderful statement. It says that the local church is the hope of the world. Do we believe that? (laughs) Do we believe that? I feel like if we can't even believe that, then we're wasting our time. We are wasting, the beaches around here are magnificent. The mountains are beautiful. The wine apparently is great. I don't know, I don't drink any wine, but apparently it's good. People get quite worked up about it around here. Anyway, it's apparently a thing. I just want to remind us that the church of Jesus Christ is moving forward. The church of Jesus Christ is impacting communities. The church of Jesus Christ is transforming nations. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and well today. And we need to ask ourselves, is what church do we want to be part of? The church of Jesus Christ or the church of I? I come from Joburg. It's the pursuit of wealth in Johannesburg. The gold rush is a real thing. It's still continuing. They just don't go down into the ground any longer. They're pursuing careers. They desire the wealth. The piggy banks of their lives need to be saturated with earthly wealth. And so the church in Johannesburg has to constantly fight this thing that it isn't about you, sir, and isn't about you, ma'am. It's about those who are not in this building. It's about those who are sitting out there distracted, those who are sitting out there lost, those who are sitting out there broken without a hope for their tomorrow. And the local church is a restorative people looking for a society and a people group to break into. Why? Because God has called us to be a lung in the city that breathes in the toxic and breathes out the life of God. In your business, sir, in your environment, Ma'am, I want to encourage you that God has called you to be a lung, that as you breathe in the culture of brokenness, that you breathe out the life of God that brings wholeness. That actually we do not just look for environments that are like ours. We look for the broken in our societies and we say, God, how do I become a lung in that school? How do I become a lung in that sports club? How do I become a lung in that environment that you so call us to be? Because you're restoring something and you require every single one of us to respond to that 
in a powerful way. We were on holiday. Okay, sorry, let me not carry on with that. I love telling stories, but we need to get to James. That's why we've come this morning, to end off a 22-week. Otherwise, Don's going to have to do it next week. Um, maybe move out. But I'm going to end it off. Don't worry, Don. I'm going to end it off. Don't worry. It's going to be done. James 5, verse 19 to 20. Let's read it in the ESV. And it says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. That's what we're going to be touching on this morning. We were up on holiday up the north coast in KwaZulu-Natal. It was so wonderful singing a Zulu song all the way down in, in Cape Town. Um, I, I grew up on a farm up in KwaZulu-Natal, and so a lot of that I was singing in Zulu because I'm like, man, this is beautiful. But we were up by the Tugela mouth, way up the north. My brother married into a family that has this little sort of section of property that is off the grid, and there's a whole bunch of family members that have uh, built homes there. And I was alone with Joel, Ben, and their cousins, Josh and Seth, and they're all pretty much the same age, all these four guys, and they were swimming in the ocean in front of me. No one else to be seen. Not another soul on the beach. No lifeguards and, and nice uh, skimpy you know, speedos. There was just me, just me. And they were swimming in front of me, having an absolute delightful time. And when I, when I read James, I this whole word of wandering away, this phrase of wandering away, I was like, what is, he, what is he trying to mean there? And the definition of the term wandering away is to leave a place where one is supposed to stay. That's what wandering is. You meant to be here, but now you are here. You've wandered away. And I don't know like many parents in the room, but, but when your kids are in the sea and they leave the place where they're meant to be, you start to get a bit... A bit stressed. And so they started to wander away. They started to leave and depart from the place that they were supposed to be. And so I'm like, hey, boys, hey, I'm not the lifeguard, but listen, just get in a bit. And eventually they just started to wander, and it, it, it happens so quickly, and they start to wander away a little bit more. And so I stand up and I shout at them. I say, boys, come in. And the two youngest, Ben and Seth, him and his cousin, they Obviously, their little toes could feel the, gr the ground underneath. So they're like, and they come in, and I'm like, well done. And now I see Joel and, and Josh out a bit further, and I'm like, boys, you, you need to, now it's getting a bit serious. Come in. And their eyes are this big, and they, you can just see the ocean going like this, and it's pulling them out. Subtly. And there's, there's so much happening underneath on the top. It just was like, it was just calm, like just a subtle, and they were moving. Well, as seen on the popular TV show, for those who have watched it, Baywatch, I don't know how many of us have watched that. Please don't put up your hands if you have watched Baywatch. But for those who have, Mark Hasselhoff here started running down the beach towards our kids in the ocean, all by myself. And I'm, I don't know the sea. I'm not fit at all. I don't even know what I'm seeing. But I just see water. And I jump straight in. And I swim out to them. And, and it was a long story. As you can see, we survived. Thank you, Jesus. But we crawled. We literally out of the sea on our hands and knees. We were finished. And we all sat there looking at the ocean, knowing that there was a close call because of a wandering. 
because of a wandering. When people wonder, our instinct should be that of a father to their sons. There's no questions asked. We're going after them. We're going after them. We're going after them. You see, verse 19 in the ESV, it, it, it speaks about, and it says, my brothers. And you see out through the, the portion of, of, of the James text, it speaks about brothers and sisters. And it, it, it reminds us again that we are part of a household. Every single one of us is part of the household, the church of Jesus Christ, a gospel community. We are part of something bigger than just myself. If it was all about me, I'd have said, Josh, you guys just figure it out. And wherever the ocean spits you out, hey, have a cool ride. I think that's sometimes our response. It's like as people wander away, we sit and go, hey, I hope it goes well, man. I hope that we'll see you soon. But yet our response is a father, our response is a brother, our response is a sister, our response in this household of Jesus is to respond with an urgency to reach out into the world that you see those that we love wandering away into. Matthew 18 says, what do you think, Jesus speaking, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray. Surely as a shepherd, you should be thinking for the one as well as the 99. Surely the response of a shepherd is not to say, well, I've got 99. It's like a test. I've got 99%. Who cares about the one? You know what I mean? But no, we run after the one. None can be lost in this process of seeing a community restored. We can't see people just wandering off into the brokenness of, of their decisions. There is a heart in the brothering. There is a heart in the nature of even a shepherd that I will run after the one. Eugene Peterson references this portion in James in the message, and I'd love to just camp here a little bit because I love the language he is using as he references this portion of Scripture. And he says, my dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. So let's get into this. So how do we become a restoring community? How do we, how do we as common ground become a restoring community? Number one, number one, verse 19, my dear friends, if you know people, know people, number one, know people, that's not rocket science, that's quite straightforward, if you know people, one of the defining characteristics of being a Christ follower is found in John 13, where it says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as Christ, I have loved you, you also are the love to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. James is asking the question, do you know people? Do you love people? You see, if you know people, then you will walk across the room. You know when you arrive here early on a Sunday morning? and you don't know anyone, it's a bit awkward, eh? 
Like you find a corner, you find a, a banner to look at. You find some coffee to hold. It's just like, this is awkward right now. Why did I come two minutes early? There's like no one saying anything to me. But if you know people, what do you do? You go across the room. Doesn't matter how far the room may be. You say, I know Jack. I'm gonna go say how's it to him. I'm gonna go see him. You see, a gospel community walks across the room because they know people. A gospel community knows who's in the room. A gospel community identifies who is missing. Even right now, if you know people, you'd look in this room and know who's not here. But if you don't know anyone, you wouldn't know who's not here. I know it's so simple, guys. It's an early Sunday morning. But it's such, such a big thing. One of the hardest things someone had ever said to me when I was a young Christian, as a 19-year-old, was when I was in church with my mates, and he came up to me and he said, you see that 60-year-old man over there? Go and speak with him. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. What do I have to contribute to any of his conversations? And he said, no, no, I'm telling you now, go and speak. He was the pastor of the church, so I didn't really have an option. And so I went out and I started to have this awkward conversation with this 60-year-old guy with this 19-year-old intellect. And from that day onwards, I said, God, I don't want to just know the people in my sphere. I want to know the people in the sphere. I want to know the people in the church. I want to be able to relate to the little child that arrives with mom, and I want to relate to the oldest person that is in the room. God, give me the ability to reach both up and down equally so that, God, I will get to know people. Why? So that I know who's in the room and I know who's missing in the room because that's what a, a wholesome, healthy gospel community is. The Zulu word for Salborna is actually the word, I see you. So whenever you greet in Zulu and you say, Salborna, I see you. And in this, a, a, a healthy community that is restorative is of people that see people in their loneliness, see people in their hurt, they see people in their guilt or rejection, and they also see you running away. Salborna, hello, welcome back, I see you. James is reminding us that actually as we see people and as we know people and we, as we identify people, because we love them so much and because we know them so much, we won't write them off. We won't leave them to their own destruction. Many people would say, but surely it's the church's responsibility as in the administration of the church. Maybe it's the elders' responsibility to follow up with people. Surely we just come and enjoy some of the, the worship and some of the community. No, 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 there's a call for all of us to have a part to play. I remember many years we were in a church where every row had a clipboard and you had to pass the clipboard down. I don't know if you've been in any of those churches before. You have to fill out your name and your contact number and make sure that you tick, yes, I was here. And uh, I remember being one of those looking through all of them and seeing guys riding Daffy Duck and Goofy and... and and knowing exactly who they were, full of nonsense, full of nonsense. You see, a restoring community starts with me. The restoring community starts with me. Number two, verse 19, and it carries on, it says, go after them. A very simple one, but we need to go after them. So who are we going after? Those who have strayed from the truth. 
James is highlighting the fact that it wasn't just an intellectual moving away. It wasn't just someone saying, well, I don't quite like believe it anymore. But ultimately, they were physically walking away. I think sometimes we have coffees with people and you can hear there's a wrestle around certain things. But when we start to identify that now their habits and their disciplines have, and their rhythms of life have started to change, of course, those are the people where we need to realize that truth has ultimately sunk in, that, they author, that, that in the space of their knowledge of orthodoxy and their practicing of orthopractices, that there is this sense of going, God, we believe something, but actually our practice is starting to catch up. And where it is one where people start to believe that community isn't necessary, that actually the local church isn't something that is needed anymore, often their practices start to catch up and they start to drift away. Those are the ones that we need to highlight and say, God, we need to go after them. We need to help them in something of their belief again. We need to help them see again the power of being part of community, of being part of the local church of Jesus Christ, to be part of something far greater than themselves so that God ultimately Ultimately, there will be a transformation that takes place in their understanding, Father, so that their practice can catch up again. This might be a challenge for us where we believe something, but if we had to look at the practice of your lives, we say, no, I don't know if they quite believe it yet. There is something of a transformation that God wants to bring. We go after people because ultimately, even in 1 John 6, it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I I know people in my own life that have stopped practicing. They've stopped practicing. And I know it's a challenge to me to go, God, how do I come to them? How do I go after them that James is instructing me to do without bringing judgment on them? Without saying you have to. God, God, give me. And there's this wrestle I always have to say, how do I reach out into their world? And often they have all the answers, all the reasons. But James is instructing us to go after to go after, to to love upon people, to reach out to people. So again, why are we going after them? Well, we want to model something of the ways of Jesus. In John 4, we see the, the Samaritan woman who is in the heat of the day drawing water from the well, and Jesus makes an effort to meet her, comes to her. There's the practicing of Jesus. He could have continued on his journey, but there's this one-on-one experience where he's like, God, Jesus is like, I want to reach into this world that is broken. I want to reach into this life that is deceived. I want to reach into this life that lives with condemnation. And if we know the story of the woman at the well, she had many husbands. There was a rejection that she carried, but Jesus comes and gives her life-giving expressions of hope. But ultimately, if you look at the portion that, 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 that this John 4 text is, what is he doing? He's, he's pointing her back to an expression of worship. Oh man, when you worship together, there's something beautiful, something life-giving, there's something powerful. When the body of Christ worships together, God moves in power. When the body of Christ worships together, victory resounds in the tents of the righteous. When the body of Christ worships together, those who are broken, rejected, are able to find their place again, not because they're trying to relate with people, but because they have engaged with the God Almighty. In times of worship, people's eyes and their countenances are heavenward. 
And worship is a powerful expression. And Jesus is reminding us through John that this woman, yes, she had to sort some stuff out, which most times people do, but actually he's saying, would you come back to worship in a place of being spirit and in truth, not in a religious expression? We're going after the gold, like a miner who is, a, who is prepared to shovel and jackhammer for hours and days and months to uncover the little gold. That is why we go after people, because they are gold and they are precious in Christ's sight. We go after people because they are loved by, by Christ, and if they matter to God, then they matter to us. A restoring community cares for others, cares for others. And lastly, number three, verse 20 in the message. It says, get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. Get people back. Get people back. We don't just leave them out there. I didn't enjoy being with Josh and Joel in the middle of the sea and say, hey, guys, woohoo, it's cool. Now I need to get them back. Back to safety. Back to safety. James is using the word in the SV, he uses the word death to describe the trajectory, the end destination of those who have wandered away. There's nothing to flirt with. It's nothing just to say, it's okay, it's fine, it's their own decisions. No, if we see that it's going to ultimately lead to death, I think we'd respond differently. One of the hardest things is losing a parent to COVID. And both Meg and I lost our fathers within a space of a year. Watching COVID come in and knock on their door and enter into their house. And cause them to drift away to the point of death. I remember sitting in a meeting up in Johannesburg and my dad, they had just got into ICU. And the team said, Mark, you guys need to get down there. And I was like, nah, it's fine. You'll be fine. He's a McKinley. Come on, man. He's a farmer. And he died that night. And you live with the turmoil of going, God, I should have done something. I should have responded earlier. She says, hey, Dad, I love you. I should have done something earlier, but you can't live with that anymore. Why? Because he's gone. We can't leave our friends to wander to the point of death before we do something. It's a sobering thought. When we see that eternity is real, that death is real, that ultimately it will end in a time when, when it will all come to an end. I have to ask us, even after this meeting today, what will we do to those friends and family that we know that we need to pick up the call and say, man, we need to connect. We need to connect. Can I ask the worship team to come up as we wrap up? Don't leave them out there. By getting them back into community, you have not only rescued them personally, but also those whom you have sur sur surrounded themselves with. And what I mean by that, I love how he uses the word epidemic because we know it so well. But I remember when, when COVID first spread on our campus as a church and a school, it actually happened in a finance meeting of all places. And it was like one of the elders had COVID and we didn't know he had COVID. And we always blame him. We say, you are the reason why we all got sick. You know, I don't know if you have those people in your lives. We do. But Mark Lloyd stood there, he did not know he had COVID, and he gave it to all of us. 
And often what happens is when people wander away, they surround themselves with people and they infect that community of people. That's why I use the word epidemic. And as we reach out and as we reach out to our friends, the people we know, and as we reach out into that world, we are not just saving them, but we're saving a whole community of people. We're reaching out and saying, there is truth. Won't you come back Why? so that those people that you engage with would also come back? There is a multiplicating factor. I remember as I was a, a very competitive hockey player many years back, field hockey, and I had this incredible trajectory of a career. Not that you have a career in hockey, there's no money. Um, but there was a career that people had plotted out for me. And I remember one year I'd had enough and I started to drift and I just said, I don't want to go to practices anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And I started to drift and eventually I gave up. I just said to the guys, I'm not coming anymore. And it went silent. And many years later, many years later, I was connecting with a guy who was in the hockey space and, and I was just reminiscing of the good old days and how cool it was, you know, and how all our friends and our mates and how I drifted away and said, I just didn't want to do this anymore. And I said to him something, and I said, but if only someone had just picked up the phone and phoned me, I probably would have been there like that. But because of the silence, it created more distance. Because of the silence, I thought they didn't care for me. They didn't love me anymore. Not that you have much love in sports, but you know what I mean. And as the distancing happened, I realized that I'd find myself so far away that there was no reality in going back. And I want to ask us as a local church that if we desire to be a people that is restoring community, would we be a people that reach out? Would we be a people that know people? Would we be a people that go after people? And would we be a people that get people back? Our Sunday gatherings are more than a great karaoke event where someone motivates us with some cool stories and our kids are entertained for the morning. No, when the church of Jesus Christ and the followers of Jesus come and respond to the book of James and what James is telling us to get back to, our Sunday gatherings will become a mass of restored people on a restorative mission. The local church is still beautiful and people need to know that. Can we just stand in this time? close our eyes just uh, in this moment the church of Jesus is beautiful she is beautiful the bride I believe there's some of us this morning who we need to repent where we've doubted Maybe there's some of us this morning who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives. This morning is a moment where we can surrender our hearts and say, Jesus, 
I don't know you, but today I desire to know you. And if that's you, we'd love to pray with you straight after this service. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, in this moment that you are here. I want to thank you that you are restoring us as your people, not for our own benefit, not for our own good, but Father, you're restoring us, Lord God, to be ones who restore a city, who restore neighborhoods, who restore friendships, who reach out, Lord God, beyond, Lord God, the natural. Lord, just like myself, Lord God, running into the ocean, vulnerable, but yet knowing, Lord God, that it was worth it because we could not sit by and watch our friends, watch our families, Lord God, find themselves drifting to a place of decay and brokenness. You are here, Jesus. going to end off with a song. It's going to end off with a time where we just worship together.